there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. One of the most important things about this work is emotional, new emotions. This work cannot be properly understood without attaining a new emotional state. <laughs> if we can't attain a new emotional state, we cannot properly understand this work. The ideas of this work will continue to fall in places in us where the work cannot be understood, it cannot be properly used, and what will happen is it will be misused, it will be wasted. Development hinges on certain necessary emotional experiences that come through contact with esoteric ideas over time and arising in order. The thing is, I've talked about order before. Order is heaven's first law. Everything happens, in fact, I think I talked about this last week. Everything happens in a certain order. Healing is something that I've been thinking about lately. It happens in a certain order, and the order is not disrupted. You look at healings where people are healed instantaneously, and the order of the healing is still the same. It's just that the time frame is different. It's something that can happen outside of time, or it's not restricted by time. Most of our healing, if you have a cold and you finally become healed of the cold, it takes you seven days, they say. What we do is we live in time, and so because we're living in time, we have our expectations about how everything's going to be in time. In a different emotional state, time becomes an entirely different matter. It's not the same as it is in our ordinary states. When we get in different states, Everything changes. Everything is taken differently. Everything is received differently. Everything is different. So these esoteric ideas develop over time and in a certain order. There are certain things you learn first, and then there are other things you learn on top of that, and then other things you learn on top of that, and other things you learn on top of that. And they come in layers, and it comes in order. First things first, then second things second, then third things third, just like climbing stairs. Our problem is a dirty emotional container filled with diseased emotions that prevent healthy emotions from surviving. Of course, we've all heard this before, but it bears repeating because we're all still contaminated by diseased emotions. And diseased emotions are essentially negative emotions. Negative emotions that we acquired as we were growing up and that we started to believe in, that we started to cling to, that we started to call our savior. For example, fear. Fear is an emotion that many people will not do without. They think fear protects them. Well, it was fear that kept me from walking out in front of that bus. Well, it couldn't be wisdom and good judgment, could it? It had to be fear, didn't it? Well, yes, I was afraid that I'd be hit by the bus. Do you see the difference? We'll cling to fear when it could so easily be replaced with discernment, with wisdom, with good judgment, with common sense, which is uncommon, of course. That's what I mean by clinging to these diseased emotions that prevent healthy emotions surviving in this container. The container is called the emotional center in the work, but I don't like that 
all the time. I like to change things up because I find that we get mechanical when it comes to these things that we're talking about. One person will talk about the oh, the emotional center, this center, and this center, and that center, and the other center, and that's fine, but it all becomes static for them. It's not a living thing anymore. So I try to change it up, and I call the emotional center the emotional container because it contains emotions, and the emotions that it contains right now are diseased, negative emotions, dirty emotions, and it has dirtied the container. The problem is compounded by the need for a profoundly distasteful realization that we are emotionally ill. This is a profoundly distasteful realization to us. We don't like to see that we're mentally, emotionally ill. We don't like the idea that we are sick, that we are dysfunctional, that we're not working properly. We don't like that. It rubs and clashes with our illusion that everybody else is wrong and we're right, that we're really okay, that we're really not so bad, that we really do understand, that we really do know. It's a profoundly distasteful realization. A realization is different from an intellectual acceptance of the idea. We were all talking yesterday and Steve said, there's a difference between understanding and what is it? Do you remember what you said? Between intellectually understanding something and actually experiencing it. Yeah, there's a difference between intellectually understanding something and actually experiencing it. One, he said one was a, oh, and the other one was, oh, was that it? Yeah. And it was kind of comical, you know, because you could see that he had had the realization, you know, that it was really his now. Intellectually, he heard it. Nah, that sounds crazy. I don't know. Nah, you don't, you just don't understand the situation. You're just a little off. If you were in my shoes, you wouldn't be saying that. But then when you finally get it, it's like, oh. And what it does is it changes you. It changes your behavior. It changes your chemistry. It changes your energy. It changes your state of mind, it changes your physical body, it changes your emotional body, it changes your mental body. Everything begins to change. You are altered. You are not the same as you were. Now, you can go back, but you can never go all the way back. It will always nag you like a wound that has healed, yet when the weather gets damp or it gets cold, you can feel it. It will always nag you in that way. So that if you go back, you try and go back, it will always be this nagging wound. And that's really what it is because your false personality has been wounded. And when you try to go back to your false personality, that wound bothers you. And you find that you'll want to go back to your understanding that will remove the bothering of that wound, that will get you out of that part of your false personality. This is a good thing. So rejoice when it happens to you. Rejoice when the work wounds you because the work does wound you. And when it does, it's wounding what is not you, false personality. But we don't know that yet. Until we do know that, that has not come yet. That's not one of the ideas that is taken at a deeper level just yet. Our way is blocked by the illusion that we are emotionally well, causing us to justify our automatic emotions. We have automatic emotions. We have automatic thoughts. We have automatic responses, reactions to things. Somebody comes along and they throw something at your face. You blink and put up your hands. That's an automatic reaction. Somebody says something to you or yells something at you and you're startled. That's an automatic reaction, an automatic emotion. Somebody says something to you and you instantly quip back. That's an automatic reaction. Somebody says punchline of a joke and you find yourself laughing automatically, even if they didn't tell you the whole joke. Those are all automatic reactions. 
That's how we live our lives, through automatic emotions, automatic thoughts, automatic moving center. And this, our way, our way forward, our way to development is blocked by the illusion that we're emotionally well. We think that we're already well. We think that we're already fixed because intellectually we have accepted this idea. We think that that's all there is to it because it's different from what it was like before. What we don't understand is until we get the deeper experiential understanding, we don't have anything to compare it to. And then once we get the deeper experiential understanding, we think that that's it because we don't have yet a deeper understanding. So the idea is leave this thing open-ended. Don't ever think you understand it all. Don't ever think you got it. Think that this is part of it. There's always more. One thing leads to another. I wonder what this will lead to. Try and stay in your state of not knowing. Remember, that state of not knowingness is your friend. Not knowing is your friend. Where your problems come from is knowing. You know what's going to happen next. That's why you're depressed. You know what's going to happen next. That's why you're angry. You know what's going to happen next. That's why you're upset. You know what's going to happen next. That's why you're afraid. It's our knowing that haunts us. Our not knowing is our friend. We take for granted that we're right. We take for granted that we're misunderstood. And we consciously explain away everything that contradicts our illusion. We know that we're right. We come from the ground of being of I am right. We come from the ground of being that you just don't understand me. It was exactly what Steve said yesterday. I said something to him and he said, he's crazy. He just doesn't understand. He doesn't understand the situation. That ground of being is not that you don't understand. The ground of being is that I am misunderstood. That's the ground of being. I am misunderstood. Not that they don't understand. We don't really care about them. Who we care about is that I am misunderstood. Do you see the difference? I am misunderstood is much more powerful than you don't understand. I am misunderstood is a ground of being. It's where we come from. And unless that ground is broken up so that we can no longer stand on it, unless that ground is broken up, it's our rock. And we'll stand on that rock. But if we can break that up, it turns to sand, and then it'll shift under our feet, and we'll look for something more solid to stand on. And the something more solid that we need to be standing on now are these work ideas, these work principles. Because we don't have real conscience 24-7, we need something to support us until we can be well-founded in real conscience. We are always spending our time explaining away everything that contradicts our illusion. He doesn't understand. He doesn't know. These are things that explain away. Well, if you were in the same position, you wouldn't be saying that. Well, blah, 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 blah. These are all ways of explaining away the contradiction of our illusion. The illusion that we are right and that we're misunderstood. It is an illusion that we're misunderstood. It is an illusion that we're right. But we're constantly explaining away anything that contradicts that. If you justify yourself in everything, if you put yourself in the right, you'll never admit that you react automatically without being properly conscious. I am amazed sometimes, every once in a while, just amazed at how absolutely ironclad our sense of rightness is. It's amazing. I mean, amazing. People who could be incredibly conscious in one area and all of a sudden will be sound asleep. They just cross a line and they are sound asleep when it comes to how right they are about something. There's just no question about it. There's no way that you understood me right. If you don't agree with me, then you don't understand. You didn't hear me. You didn't understand me. You're wrong. And that is not the state that we're looking for. 
when you find yourself in that state, and of course you never do, because when you're in that state, you're being that state. Hopefully, and usually in that state, you can't listen to anyone else because you're right. So hopefully you can look back at some other time, see it, and start to doubt your rightness. That's the only tool we have at that point is to be able to doubt our rightness. Now, if you can do it now, if you can do this ahead of time and start to question your rightness, start to question your rightness, maybe I'm not always right. Oh, I know I'm not always right, but but maybe when I think I'm right, I'm not right. Because our automatic response is to argue. Our automatic response is to resist. Our automatic response is to say no. Instead, in your more aware moments, start to question that. Start to question, wait, you know, when I'm, Feeling most right, that's the time that I should be most aware that I could be wrong. Do you see that's true? Sincere, uncritical, direct self-observation will show us that we're not always right. This brings about a new emotional state which can overcome diseased emotions and purify the emotional function, the emotional container, the emotional center, whichever you choose to call it. I don't care what you call it. I want you to get the idea. I want you to get a feeling for it. I want you to get a sense of it. I want you to get a sense of there is a place. It can be a bag if you want it to be a bag. It can be a jar if you want it to be a jar. It can be a center if you want it to be a center. I don't care. There's a place where emotions collect, reside, are attracted to. And that place is dirty because of all of the dirty emotions that have been living in it. So I like to think of it as a crock pot, you know, an unglazed crock. So that if you put a lot of crud in it, even when you dump the crud out, you still have to soak all of that stuff out of there because the crock, the clay crock is porous and it has absorbed some of that muck, some of that gunk. And that's what our emotional container is like. It has absorbed some of that muck, some of that gunk from the negative emotions that have been awash in there, stored in there for so many years. And it all needs to be purified and washed out and cleansed. And it takes time to do that. It just doesn't happen with a good scrubbing. It takes time to draw that out, to leach it out, to finally purify it. And that's okay. What else have you got to do? This new emotional state that comes from sincere, uncritical, direct self-observation that can overcome the diseased emotions and purify our emotional container, that is the state that we need to be cultivating. The hitch is they are painful to self-valuation. See, when we start to uncritically, sincerely, directly observe ourselves, what we find is very painful. And what it hurts is self-valuation because it shows us what we are not. All of the things that we thought we were, and it shows us that we are not those things. And that's painful, isn't it, Lori? You got a dose of that last night. And it was interesting because after we said whatever it was we said, and she got all quiet and funky. And I said, there you go. Anytime there's an increase in consciousness, you can be sure that there will be an increase in negative emotions. With every single expansion of consciousness comes a horde, a gang of negative eyes who want to beat us up over it. You can count on it. It's going to happen. Be prepared. You know it's going to happen. Be prepared. But no, we get caught off guard almost every time. Self-love and self-loathing are the same thing. If people think it's different, people, uh, when I talk about self-love and self-valuation, self-conceit, people go, well, I hate myself. I don't feel all those. I don't love myself. 
It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. It's just a different side of the coin. You have the light side of the ball and the dark side of the ball. It's just the same thing. It's all about you. Whether you hate yourself or love yourself, it's all about you. It's all the same thing. It's all self-valuation. It's all self-conceit. It's all about you. Self-conceit justifies our automatic behavior, preventing us from seeing the door is closed. You can't see that when we are wrapped up in ourselves, that closes the door. That closes the door to our development. We can't pass through a door that's closed. We'll bang our head on it and hurt ourselves and blame it on something else, someone else, something else, life, but the door is still closed. Gurdjieff said one emotion can only be conquered by another emotion. I like this, and it reminded me of something that John wrote in his first letter to somebody. He said, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. One emotion can only be conquered by another emotion. So you have the emotion of fear, but it can only be conquered by another emotion. And that emotion, according to John, is love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So one emotion is conquered by another emotion, as Gurdjieff said, and as John said. So all esoteric teachings are the same on this point. They're all the same. Our problem is we can't see it because of our blind spots. Oh, well, that's in the Bible? Well, then I, that's, the people have blind spots about it, so they can't see it. Or there are other people, if it's not in the Bible, it's not the truth. Blind spots about it. It's in the Quran, but it's not in the Bible. Well, then it can't be true. Well, it's in the Upanishads, but it's not in the Quran. Well, then it can't be true. No, you just don't understand. Oh, that can't be possible. I understand everything. Self-valuation, self-love, self-conceit. You see how it closes the door? Our current emotional state prevents us from understanding or experiencing perfect love. Why? Because our emotional container is dirty. So you take something clean and pure, like perfect love, and you pour that into your container, your dirty container. What is going to happen? It's going to mix, is what's going to happen. We need to continually pour higher emotions into the container. That is what casts out the gunk, the stuff. It slowly over time washes it out. It doesn't just happen. You, do, you don't just shed your skin like a snake and you're a new man. It's something that's a long process. It takes time and there's an order to it. There's certain things you must do. If you're not willing to do this thing, you will be blocked later down the road and you will have to go back and do that thing. Our pride prevents us from admitting this. It's not all bad, though. Feeling of helplessness and nothingness coming from the realization of our current state are not negative emotions. You may feel helpless. You may feel your nothingness. Those are not negative emotions. They're just unpleasant sensations. When you get used to them and when you start to value them, those unpleasant sensations suddenly become pleasant because they're only unpleasant to that part of you which is not real, that part of you which is being dissolved, that part of you which is being eaten by that part of you that is essential, that needs to grow. Behind negative emotions lies anger, violence, internal accounts, bitterness, and suspicion. Feeling your nothingness, feeling your helplessness, there's no negative emotions behind that. Where's the violence in that? Where's the bitterness in that? Where's the anger in that? There isn't. You'll notice that feeling your nothingness, feeling your helplessness, is just the opposite. It's not an active kind of It's just the opposite. It's a draining of those things. Behind emotions arising from the realization of our helplessness and nothingness is peace. It's this emotion that can overcome negative emotions. There is a sense of rightness, a sense of peace, a sense of equanimity that comes from the realization of our helplessness and our nothingness. 
And it's not a resigned sense. It's a sense of peace. It's a sense of stability. We must develop a deeper emotional perception that the work calls inner taste. The work calls it inner taste. It's a good way to talk about it because we can relate it to outer taste because taste is a very sensitive, subtle thing. You can taste things and smell things that you can't feel and see. And so it translates easily to this inner taste. It's a good transitionary sense to deal with, taste, smell, because it transitions into the unseen and the unknown so easily. It's less coarse, it's finer, it's subtler. And these things are important in getting into this state where you can start to get a sense of your inner taste, this emotional perception. It's the first sign of buried conscience, making it possible for us to feel negative emotions are undesirable. For a long time, people don't think negative emotions are undesirable. For a long time, people find them delicious and desirable. They love their negative emotions. It takes a while to admit it. But after some uncritical, direct self-observation, you begin to see that you actually do have negative emotions, that you really love them, you really like them, you look forward to them, you look for opportunities to feast on them. And so once you start to admit that to yourself, well, okay, that's a step, but then you still have them and you're not motivated necessarily to get rid of them because what you've noticed is that you found them desirable. And so that's why I say that buried conscience is what makes it possible for us to feel that negative emotions are undesirable. Without buried conscience, without real conscience, we'll never be able to get rid of negative emotions because we will always cling to them because we love them so much because they're so delicious. We must see for ourselves that they always lie. They never represent things in a true way, but they distort and twist everything. Negative emotions always lie. They always twist and distort everything. They never represent anything as it actually is. They always twist it just enough to make it believable. Without inner taste, we suffer from negative emotions' dominion over us, as we may witness in the world today. Look at this election madness that's still going on in our country. When this podcast comes out, the election will be over. That whole thing will be done. People will then start railing about how their candidate lost and gloating about how their candidate won. That will go on for a little while. And then life will go on as usual. Everything will go back to being exactly the same as it was. And we will find that the different person in office made absolutely no difference whatsoever in anything that actually mattered in the world. The only thing that will change is people's perception. And that will alter a few things for a little while. But when their perception goes back to the way it was, it'll be the same old, same old all over again. Why? Because nothing in you will have changed. Because nothing out there changes anything in you. It may be able to make things happen in you, but they're only temporary. A real essential change can only come from your own self-development. It cannot come from who's in office or who, which party is doing this or who's getting this or who's getting that. None of that is going to change you. The only thing that's going to change you is esoteric ideas applied to yourself by yourself. That's the only thing that will change you. Nothing else will. And if you're hitching your wagon to one of those stars, you're going nowhere because no one has ever gone anywhere doing that and no one ever will. It's a wheel. It constantly turns and it'll come back around to this flat spot or this bumpy spot or this spot or that spot. It'll come back around to that. If we feel negative emotions are acquired, not real to us, and mentally see that they lie, we make a powerful union of two centers consciously. If you can feel 
through inner taste, this perception, this emotional perception that negative emotions don't really belong to you, that they're acquired, that they have been added to you like the clothes that you're wearing. They may be your clothes, but you can take them off and put other clothes on. And that's the good news. It's not an integral part of you. It's not essential to you. You can live without the clothes you're wearing. You can live without the negative emotions that you have acquired, that have been put on you, that you have dressed in. If you can feel that, and at the same time mentally, see that negative emotions only lie, twist, distort. If you can do that, you've made this connection of two centers consciously. And it's a very powerful force that comes from that. It's a force that can help to set you free from negative emotions, that can help to purify you from negative emotions. The greatest healing power comes from these insights, perceptions of truth, and quiet emotions like the peace, the feeling of nothingness, the feeling of helplessness. These are quiet emotions, and that's where the power is. Not in the negative emotions of rage and anger and anxiety and worry. There's no power there. They may have the power to, to make you do things for a time outside, but they have no lasting power. They have no lasting strength. They have to be constantly rekindled. But if you can settle down into your nothingness, settle down into your helplessness, settle down into your peace, you will find that it becomes a wellspring in you and it keeps producing more and more of itself. Esoteric teachings aim at awakening us to the possibility of new behaviors apart from the acquired automatic reactions that we have. Just the fact that it's possible for you to take things in a different way, to behave in a different way. We can take everything in a new way. Every life situation, every life event, we can take ourselves and all other people, everyone and everything can be received, can be taken in entirely, completely differently than we now do it. This is good news. If you get this, you've got to smile. You've got to be happy. You've got to be joyful about this because it is the good news. You don't have to take everything the same way. You don't have to see this situation this way. It was like the dream I shared with you. I didn't have to take it the way I've always taken it. That's the good news. Esoteric teachings worthy of the name are designed to connect us with greater mind. Nothingness, helplessness, peace, all of those things are connecting us with greater mind. What does greater mind mean? I don't know. It's two words that we use because higher power is already being used by 12-step program. And something else is already, God is already being used by something else. So we use greater mind. Why? Because those other things come with so much baggage. You see, and I just want to shed some of this baggage and try and get you to think in a fresh way, in a new way, and approach this open-ended so that you don't know. You see, if you approach this like you know, oh yes, I know what a higher, I know what my higher power is. That's not it. Oh, I know what God is. Good, that's not it. I know what greater mind is. Good, that's not it. I want you to let those things go. I want you to have this open-ended. I want it to be open, not closed. It's got to be an open system. You've got to be willing to not know. Your willingness to not know is the possibility of your development. Logical thinking based on the senses turned outward will never connect us to something greater. It will always take us back around the same circuit again and again and again. It's not a bad circuit. Don't get me wrong. There are people who are out there doing it over and over and over again, lifetime after lifetime. Fine. That's their business. If you want out, stop that. If you don't want out, what are you doing here? What are you listening to me for? I'm pointing to the way out. I'm not pointing to the way in. Actually, I'm pointing to the way in, which is the way out. Yeah, work that one out. 
We must prepare ourselves to receive the influences coming from something higher. Like I said, we've got to cleanse the emotional container. It's gunky, it's filthy, it's mucky, it's dirty, it's stinky, it's nasty because of all of the negative emotions that we've stored in for so long and allowed to run through it for so long. These teachings guide us in the purification of dirty emotional container so that we can begin to receive new emotions, real emotions, and begin to do something with them, to begin to taste them. Right now, our sense of taste is contaminated so much, we need to cleanse our palate, you see. We need to really have something fresh, you know, some sparkling water or something to bubble out the gunk that we had in our mouth that we were tasting emotionally. Introduce doubt to yourself. Rather than taking for granted that you're right and everyone else is wrong, doubt. Just this one thing, if you could do nothing else, just introduce some doubt. Question how you are taking this. Whatever it is that you're taking, whatever it is you're taking in, whatever impressions are coming in, question, how am I taking these in? Where are these falling? Where am I allowing these to go? Is there another way to see this? Is there any other way to possibly see this? How would Gurdjieff see this? How would Ospensky see this? How would Jesus see this? How would Buddha see this? How would James see this? How would Gandhi see this? How would the devil see this? Do you see? Start to ask yourself, is there another way to see this? Is there a higher way to see this? Is there a better way to see this? Begin to develop a taste for clean, pure, higher emotions. It's an acquired taste, people, just like negative emotions is an acquired taste. We have acquired the taste for negative emotions. We think they're delicious. It's like people who eat stinky cheese. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's some cheese that you should not have near your nose. <laughs> And there's some people who just like salivate over that. Mm -hmm. They have an acquired taste for it. Acquire a taste for something clean and pure and fresh. Acquire a taste for something higher. You can do it. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.